Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hi, thank you for joining me this Friday, March 31st. We're going to do something a little different today. We are going to do mayoral interviews For the first two hours of the show, the candidates themselves, the people who support them and why. And then in the four o'clock hour, we will do what we do normally on Friday, which is take your calls and talk about the news of the day. You may have heard there was a breaking story yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump was indeed indicted by the Manhattan D.A. We'll talk about that and much more in the four o'clock hour. Also, you should know that uh, here in the Chicago area, start. Starting about 3 p.m., they are predicting some very bad weather, some very bad rainstorms that will abate somewhat later tonight. But then we're going to have high winds. Um, Worst of it is going to be to the south of us, uh, but nobody is absolutely for sure how bad it's going to be around this area. So just be aware of that and adjust your plans if need be. Now, let's get to it. Uh, for the next half hour till 2.30 today, I am very pleased uh, to talk with mayoral candidate Paul Vallis. Paul, welcome back yet again to our airwaves. <laughs> and former former part-time co-host. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's jump right into it here. You know, at the beginning of your campaign, A lot of people are going, oh, well, he's a Republican. He's really a Republican. It seems to me that criticism of you has morphed in some circles to he's a return to the machine. He worked for daily. He's part of the machine. And if he is reelected, it will mean the machine is back. What do you say to that? Well, let me tell you, the reason they're they're uh, uh, uh uh, attacks have changed. It's, it's because it's clearly I'm a lifelong Democrat. N- notice that I've been in- endorsed by Senator Dick Durbin, by Congressman Bobby Rush, by Jesse White, and of course, Pat Quinn, Governor Pat Quinn, who I ran with as his lieutenant governor. And let me point out that there are tw- now 26 unions, unions endorsing me. And today I was before the Amal- Amalgamated Transit U- Union, where their, their head basically sent out a letter to all of his members encouraging them to support me too. And not to mention that followed a meeting with black men United. So, well, if I can't be a Republican, uh, if, if I'm not a Republican, then how are you going to attack me? Oh, he's part of the machine. He's got to be part of the machine. So I guess I'm part of the old democratic machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, at this, at the same democratic machine that the 55% uh, uh, minority and business owned, uh, uh, minority and woman-owned business uh, set aside when it came to the capital plan, uh, built 78 schools, most of which are on the south and west side. That doesn't sound to me like a machine, guys. So at the end of the day, it's just a sign that their attacks uh, failed, so now they're shifting their attacks. Um, by the way, I forgot to say at the start of this segment that the Roofers and Waterproofers Local 11 is proud to sponsor the Paul Vallis segment. You probably didn't even know that, Paul, but that's something uh, <laughs> that's something we worked out here at the station. So Roofers and Waterproofers Local 11 is sponsoring this interview that I'm doing with Paul Vallis for now for the till about uh, 2.30 today. We're going to skip our usual break so we can just uh, stick with it. 
Um, you know, both you and Brandon Johnson, you know, God, God love people who run in the age of social media and videotape and recordings. You guys are both being hit with things that you have said pretty much over the last decade. Um, but there's one thing that was a little more recent. Um, is we have some audio of, this was in April of 2021 when you were talking on the radio with Amy Jacobson and there had just been another mass shooting and President Biden wanted to was pushing a bunch of ideas like background checks for ghost guns, um, changing rules around pistol braces. Anyway, you and Amy Jacobson had a conversation about this that I'm going to pr- play a clip from. And then I want you to react to it and tell me if if that is exactly how you feel today. So, Lady B, let's play that clip. Biden's proposal is going to do nothing. It's going to do nothing to reduce. I mean, it's a complete nothing burger. It was a complete nothing burger. My time watching that, and and nothing will will undermine his his tenuous control over the Senate faster than really pushing meaningful. Or I don't want to say meaningful. Let's just say posting. Uh, uh, anywhere even approaching the shadow of draconian gun control, because it's just not going to happen. Okay, you want to react to that today? Yeah, well, if you remember, President uh, President Biden then expanded expanded his approach to uh, uh, anti violence initiatives when he talked about using COVID money to hire more police officers, using COVID money to provide more public safety resources. So originally my comments were really about the gun control. I mean, the bottom line is we have the strictest gun control laws in the city of Chicago, yet we have a record increase in in crime. So I was responded, uh, you know, first of all, uh, I have been a strong supporter of Governor uh, uh, Pritzker's uh, gun control legislation, including the ban on assault weapons. But I've always made the point that you're not going to address the issue of violent crime uh, by, uh, you know, with gun control laws alone. You've got to go far beyond that. So I've talked about restoring beat integrity, returning police officers to the local beats. I've always been a supporter. And if, and if you had listened to the uh, the whole that whole interview, I've always been a strong supporter of having police officers uh, assigned to local schools to deter active shooters, not disciplining the kids. And we talked at length on your show. You know, I mean, I've uh, I had uh, police officers deterring local shooters in the largest cities in four different states that I ran, and I never had a school shooting. So at the end of the day, I've always felt that if you're going to protect children, uh, you need to have police officers at, at the entrance of the buildings or police cars at the beginning or at the end of the school day, because basically you have to have them there to deter active shooting. Just uh, more. And we, you and I have talked about that because it's not, they're not there to be disciplinarians. They're not there uh, to go into the school when somebody's um, breaking a rule. Uh, They are there to, to protect things like um, an active shooter situation. Because that's why I know a lot of the, the cops at the schools got criticized because some administrators were using them basically as, as, um, as security for bad behavior. I have to say one more thing, Joan, and you know this because we've talked about this at length. We've had so many deep discussions on things. I also said that, you know, I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut when when Sandy Hook happened. And 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 I had a teacher 
who lost, who had a child in first grade in that classroom where 20 children were shot and killed. I, I mean, at the end of the day, and there are, uh, among the 30-plus superintendents who at one time or another worked for me, two of those superintendents in St. Louis and Brainerd, uh, they had they had multiple shootings. They had uh, it, it, they had incidents like you saw in Nashville, where somebody came came in and somebody, you know, and multiple shootings, multiple fatalities. And I pointed out again and again that there's been 245 shootings, school shootings in the last 10 years alone. That's three times the number of the previous 10 years. So at the end of the day, I was simply saying that you've got to do more. You, you're going to have to do more if you're going to protect children. And 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 in that long interview and, and, and interviews you and I have had on school safety, that's been a consistent theme of mine. Um, while we're talking about cops, lately I've seen a couple of media sources saying, you know, Paul Vella says, you know, he's going to bring more cops on to the force and he's going to get retired cops. But that hasn't worked in other cities. So why does he think it will work here? But you said in another statement that you had been in contact with, I, I don't know if it was the FOP or the CPS that keeps lists of police. So let me just stop talking and ask the darn question. If these uh, retired cops are going to come back, how are you going to find them? How are you going to get in touch with them? How do you know for sure they're there and ready to come back? Well, first of all, we have a list of every police officer who is retired because, you know, the retired police officers also weigh in weigh in on decisions, on labor decisions. So the retired police, they have a list. They know who they are. They know how many years they've been on the force. And right now there's a list of 300 who have expressed an interest in coming back. And, and let me point out that you can screen the police officers who come back, too. So it really gives you the opportunity to decide who comes back and who does not come back. We also know that there are well over 100 other officers who have expressed an interest in returning from other police districts if there's new leadership and they're retirement and their seniority is, is not uh, is not jeopardized. You know, Brandon has kept on saying, oh, you can't fill the police vacancies. The best way to fill the police vacancies, first of all, is to stop the exodus. And they've lost a thousand officers in each of the last two years. In a normal year, you lose 300. And if you slow the exodus or you return the exodus, you return to normal attrition rates, then you, you can literally have two police officers for every one who's leaving in the academy. So you've got to slow the attrition. You can invite officers back to return, either part-time or full-time, or retired. You can remove the obstacles to officers from returning from other police districts or transferring in from, uh, from other police districts. And then you can do one more thing that I've talked about, is you can push those officers down to the local police beat. Because right now, only 53% of the officers on the Chicago police force are actually in the districts. So you not only slow the exodus, you, you not only run double academies, day and, and, and evening uh, programs at the police academy, you not only invite and remove the obstacles for retirees and officers who have left for other police districts to, to return, there's also hundreds of firefighters who, who used to be police officers who actually work part-time as police officers in the suburbs. You know, so there's an opportunity to, to flood the ranks with veteran officers that you can handpick while pushing the officers down to the local beats. Because right now, half the high-priority 911 calls 
do not have a police car available. So they're responding in hours rather than minutes. And as you well know, I, I rode the CTA yesterday because uh, I was campaigning out in, uh, up in the Wrigley Field the opening day. Uh, I'm a White Sox fan, so I actually didn't go to the ball game. I just want to point that out. <laughs> I, I didn't go to the ball game, but I rolled. I rolled the. Uh, you know, I rolled uh, the. Uh, uh, you know, the train all the way up there. I did not see a single uniform Chicago police officer until I got to Wrigleyville. And then I, I saw swarms of officers. Now, what the hell is that all about? Uh, you know what I mean? It was, you know, it, I guess everything was safe along that line. And I was hopping from train to train to train. I think I saw two of the privatized uh, police officers uh, or security guards who, of course, are, are unarmed. They can't arrest. And usually... A lot of times, you know, they're they're they will, you know, they will avoid a conflict, uh, and that's been well recorded. So, you know, this I just laid out a a common sense approach to policing, and let me point out that I am I am adamantly in favor of reopening the mental health centers and restoring community based social services and creating reentry programs for for returning uh, citizens, while at the same time, you know, actually allocating the $200 million in violent reduction of uh, uh, monies that have been set aside for these community-based organizations like CRED and others that do violent intervention. So I support that. But you've got to have B-cops who are responding to 911 calls in minutes, and you've got to have real police officers walking the platforms and at the, uh, the CTA platforms and at the CTA stations. Um, a lot of people are concerned about where your campaign funds are coming from. Most recently, you got a donation from former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, who uh, in a lot of education circles is not really highly regarded. People seem to associate a donation like that or money from other conservatives, Ken Griffin, whomever, with your uh, being more conservative than you are, more Republican than you are, Democratic. Um, have you had conversations with Betsy DeVos? Um, no, and if so, what have they been? Well, you know, first of all, no, I haven't. I, I've, I've, I've never had a conversation uh, with her. Uh, I, you know, she has not contributed to our campaign. She, she uh, you know, they contributed to a, 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 uh, 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 an a organization pack? that advocates, no, an, an organization that advocates for uh, for uh, uh, the scholarship program, you know, for the uh, scholarship program, like Empower Illinois. So the bottom line is, she contributed to that organization. She did not make a direct contribution to our campaign. We've had no contact with her uh, uh, soliciting uh, fundraising, nor would I accept fundraising if it came from Betsy DeVos. This is just. Brandon Johnson trying to divert attention away from the fact that, look, uh, he well, his, if it's misinformation, it's widespread because Jan Schakowsky, um made a social media post earlier about um, how terrible it was that Betsy DeVos was uh, donating to your campaign. I, well, she's not and she hasn't donated directly to our campaign. Uh, so we've had no contact with her. We we have not 
uh, sought her endorsement, nor would we accept it. So despite, this is just another, and Dan Sikowski is a strong Brandon Johnson supporter. Let me point out that Dan, uh, Dan Sikowski was a strong Rod Blagojevich supporter when I was running for governor. So Dan Sikowski has never supported me. So at the end of the day, this is just the last minute attempts for them to divert attention over the fact that the Chicago Teachers Union leadership is actually taking money from the dues of their members without approval, a lawsuit has just been filed, and putting it in the Brandon Johnson campaign. Brandon that that remained- $8 a month, I talked about that on the radio, where the union sent out a notice to its members that starting immediately, they were going to be collecting another $8 a month. And it was the memo was pretty clear that that money was going to the Brandon Johnson campaign. Yeah, and then they withdrew that memo, but they still deducted the money. And let me also point out that, that uh, you know, Brandon Johnson, 80 to 90 percent of, of his money is coming from the Chicago Teachers Union and its affiliates. I'm getting money from 26 unions. And, and Brandon remains a, a paid consultant for the Chicago Teachers Union, a paid consultant. You know, he's going to earn a retirement, a teacher's retirement despite having only taught for four years in a school that I built, Jenner, but he's going to get a full teacher retirement because his, because of a loophole, which allows him to include his years as a union organizer and as, I guess, a paid consultant, he's going to be able to add those years to his pensions. So at the end of the day, you know, he's trying to divert attention from the fact that basically they haven't, they failed in their attempts to pretend that I was a Republican when I've been a lifelong strong Democrat. Uh, You know, he still can't explain how his police strategy is really nothing but the funding of the police. And I don't even want to get into the stranglehold that the Chicago Teachers Union has had uh, over the Chicago public schools. So, you know, we're just, we're running our campaign. We're focusing on the issues. God knows I've done enough interviews with you both as co-hosts as well as as uh, as a guest, uh, as a guest speaker, uh, addressing these issues, and uh, uh, most of what I'm telling you, I've told you in the past when you've most appropriately put these questions to me. Um, I want you to clarify. There are still people confused, Paul. Are you a pro-choice candidate or not? Um, you know, my God. I mean, the bottom line is, I have been uncompromising in my support for women's reproductive rights. And and what they have done is they took an interview in which I stated, uh, I stated in that interview back in 2009 that I was, that uh, I and the Republican Party had different values when it, uh, on such things as a woman's right to choose. And this is, of course, 2009, where I stated my strong support for Roe versus Wade And then at the end of that interview, we got into a religious discussion, Catholicism with Greek Orthodoxy, where I made reference to what, I mean, essentially what Biden has said or what Dick Durbin has said or what Nancy Pelosi has said as a Catholic and things like that, that, you know, Greek Greek Orthodoxy uh, obviously is like Catholicism when it comes to, you know, when it comes to choice, but that I was politically and always have been publicly unequivocally supportive of a woman's reproductive rights. So that's a fact. So what they did was they took a reference to religion and they built a whole campaign around it. You know, you remember that uh, I was, you know, I got my start working for probably the most progressive uh, senator in, uh, in, in Illinois history, at least at the time, Senator Don Clark Nets, 
where I was not only an uncompromising supporter of a woman's reproductive rights, every single time I ran for public office, whether it was against Rob Bogoyevich or when I ran with Pat Quinn, I always got 100% approval from Planned Parenthood and all the other advocacy groups out there. I always had a perfect 100% approval rating. But but back in, back in 1995, I put domestic partners in all of the city school district contracts. And in 2000, when I ran against Rod Bogoyevich, I supported marriage equality when they called it gay marriage. Uh, that's, that's the reason Michael Bauer was so embedded in my campaign, the late Michael Bauer then. And that's the reason Tom, that's the reason, uh, Tom Tunney and the LGBT Chamber of Commerce have been so strongly supported supportive of me. So I'm sorry. You know what I mean? The bottom my record as a Democrat, my record as a, a, an uncompromising supporter of women's reproductive rights and keeping Chicago, a city that, that it, it, that provides that, that provides protections for not only women who live in Chicago, but individuals who come to Chicago to have, to, to have their rights respected uh, and have their rights supported I mean, and and for someone who was 12 years ahead of President Biden and President Obama on issues like LGBT and marriage equality, I mean, my record is unassailable. But that doesn't matter in this day and age. You know, if you say something enough and you say something enough and you say something enough and you've, you've done probably thousands of interviews as I've done and obviously so many interviews on your show, uh, uh, you can you can always pull a line or splice a line and then tell a lie and then come to, and, and then to, to repeat that lie again and again and again and again, hoping people will then believe it. I know you've worked with the Chicago Teachers Union and negotiated contracts with them in the past, but obviously they are very, very strongly behind Brandon Johnson. They were in the previous election very strongly behind Tony Preckwinkle. Some people believe that when Lori Lightfoot sat down to negotiate a contract with them, that they had already decided that no matter what, there was going to be a strike simply because they felt that by supporting a candidate who lost, they had lost some power and prestige, and they were going to show the new mayor what's what. Clearly, this is a union who's behind Brandon Johnson. If you become the next mayor, how are you going to negotiate a contract with them and avert a strike? Well, very quickly, when I took responsibility for the Chicago Public Schools, and again, you know, I was tapped to run the schools. Uh, legislation was passed, giving the mayor the power, and the mayor <laughs> drafted me to run the schools. Obviously, a great job, maybe the best job I ever had, uh, uh, and uh, and the mo- and a rewarding job among many re- rewarding jobs. But they had had eight strikes and in fifteen years, in fifteen years, and uh, and that was. That was the union of Jackie Vaughn. And, and we're both old enough. No offense. I know I'm older than you. It's not the age of the mileage. <laughs> yeah, by about a few months. <laughs> we're old enough to remember those days. But yet I was able to negotiate a contract, two contracts, four-year contracts, that increased teacher pay by 27%. And let me point out, because Brandon's going to come out and say, oh, you got fired from Chicago. I was so popular, I almost got elected governor running against the machine, against Rod Blagojevich, so much for the machine candidate, right? And, uh, and, and you know, Bill Clinton called us a model for the nation. So 
let me tell you why I believe I was successful. And I've negotiated with teacher unions in four different states, successful contracts. I've negotiated with 26 unions uh, as city budget director and in my other capacities. So I was successful because I did two things. I dealt with the union face to face. I didn't negotiate through surrogates. Whether they like me or not, I wanted to establish a leadership, a, a relationship with the presidents of that union. And when I say relationship, I mean you negotiate one-on-one and you respond to phone calls and you don't negotiate through surrogates, okay? The second thing that I did, and that's why I was successful in my, with four different teacher unions in four different cities in four different states, I, I, my approach was also to deal with the rank and file and to communicate with the rank and file teachers uh, uh, directly and not allow the union leadership to speak for me, you see? So visiting schools, interacting, establishing a relationship, establishing a dialogue, because that kind of gives you leverage. And, and, and I believe that mayors who negotiate through surrogates, mayors who, who don't work overtime to communicate to teachers directly and to, and to meet teachers, uh, visit schools, have open uh, town hall meetings, uh, you know, I think it, it allows the union leadership to isolate them. So I look forward to, to having a good relationship uh, with the Chicago Teachers Union uh, and to working with them, as I have with other unions in other states, to get a contract done. And I will never do anything in the Chicago public schools that will violate the collective bargaining agreement. I know how to open the campuses to community-based organizations uh, that don't violate the contract. You know, I know how to increase the, the school day by uh, allowing teachers the option of working longer hours or inviting, uh, inviting mentors or retired teachers to come in and to do tutoring and mentoring. You know, I know, I know how to take these closed campuses and reopen them as adult ed and occupational training uh, uh, schools because we have 60,000 young people aged 18 to 25 who are either not in school or they're not working, and we have returning citizens who have who are unskilled and can't find jobs. So, so I will not do anything to violate the collective bargaining agreement, uh, and I will negotiate directly uh, with the teachers' union leadership rather than through surrogates. And and I will do what I did. When I ran the Chicago Public Schools, I will communicate directly to the rank and file. Paul, I know how busy you are. Thank you for taking this time to do a one-on-one interview with us. Uh, it is uh, always a pleasure, and it's going to be an exciting night on the 4th. I wish you and Brandon Johnson both the best. I think you both have good hearts. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Well, I look forward to when I win, uh, God willing. Uh, I look forward to having an opportunity to get back on your show. Maybe we can do a, a talk to the schools once a month or something like that. Yeah, once a month, ask the mayor everything you want to know. Ask the you want. Let him have it. Our, our <laughs> session. Well, <you> know, <laughs> All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it. You heard it. him said it right here, right now on the radio. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. We'll give you a little time to rest and recover, and then we'll hold you to it. Thank you, Paul. Take care. Bye-bye. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more local politics right after this.